Good morning, afternoon, or evening. It's Gene Baxter here with another glimpse at the people behind the voices you hear here on Podcast Radio. And today, we're talking to a bona fide radio legend. His professional career goes back 40 years and took him from being a presenter at Radio Tees to the managing editor of BBC Radio One. Even now, as a media consultant, he can't help himself but still get behind a microphone for his popular interview series on East London Radio called Private Lives. Yes, today, I get to interview one of the best interviewers in the business. It's time for my chat with Paul Robinson. Yeah, well, I mean, for me, it started really buying records. Um, I spent far too much of my pocket money buying records, and that's what I used to do. As soon as I had any money, I'd go and spend it on records. And then I got a couple of jobs. I did a paper round for a bit. I did some stuff working in a factory testing music centers, and all that money was spent on records. And then um, I sort of discovered the relationship you can have with radio and with particularly radio DJs. And um, I was listening to Radio 1, this is late 60s, early 70s, and was sort of quite enjoying Radio 1, but didn't really ever connect, didn't ever feel that there was a close bond. And then it was when commercial radio started in the UK in 1973, October 1973, in London with LBC and Capital Radio. And it was listening to Capital, and particularly DJs like Roger Scott and Nicky Horn, um, Mike Allen, Peter Young, who were... DJs who were doing daytime shows but were clearly music lovers and absolutely loved the music. And so, you know, these guys would play things I'd never heard before. And as a result of that, I then go and buy the record. And I used to do that all the time. And I was really just listening to what these guys were saying, what they were recommending, trusting their recommendation and buying records. And that was how it started. And then the love affair went another stage and I thought, wow, what a, what a great job. These guys are sitting in the studio for three or four hours. They're playing music. They're choosing their own records. They're getting paid to do it. Uh, they haven't got to wear a tie or a suit to work. They wear jeans and a T-shirt. They're out in nightclubs in the evening. This is a great gig. I would love to do that. So that was really what started. I never believed I actually could, but I thought I would just love to be one of those guys on the radio playing records. That light bulb moment for all of us when we are old enough and savvy enough to realize that they're real people just like us who have this job, this entryway into this magical world. At least it seems that way from the other side of the radio. I mean, that's a, that's quite a powerful feeling when you latch onto that and you realize, oh my God, I've now found my life's mission. Well, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I was doing science um, A-levels and I was destined to go off and do a science degree. And I got, a, I got some, I passed the entry uh, qualifications to go to Cambridge University, which is, you know, a reasonable deal. And so I was destined to go and be a scientist in a white coat, but it wasn't really what I wanted to do. I really wanted to be a disc jockey. And then I was listening to um, a guy called Graham Dean, who was doing The Breakfast Show. He took over from Kenny Everett on, on Capital. And uh, they were announcing they were starting a new hospital radio station in Chelsea, what was then called Radio St. Stephen's Chelsea. It's now the Chelsea and Westminster Hospital. And they wanted people to go along and uh, go to a meeting. So I went along to this meeting. And um, it wasn't about going on the air or what show you're going to do. It was all about jumble sales and three-legged walks and raising money to uh, <laughs> you know, get the studio equipment together. But I put up with that for about nine months and did all the charity fundraising stuff. And eventually we bought the equipment. It was a, a basement in the hospital. It was so hot. I mean, I think there was no air conditioning. I'm, I'm sure that the hot water system and the heating went right via our studio because when you left after doing a show, you were literally pounds lighter from all the perspiration <laughs> that you'd lost in the studio. But I didn't care because I got this show on Saturday evening and I was doing this music show on Saturday evening. 
just learning how to do this. So I'm, I'm listening to Roger and all these great DJs and trying to copy what they do and doing my little show on hospital radio and, you know, beginning to learn how to make this all work. And then I thought, well, maybe maybe I've got a chance of, um, you know, actually getting on and being paid for doing this. And so I send off demo tapes. And in those days, you know, there was obviously Radio 1 and Radio 2, no chance. There were 19 commercial radio stations. I wrote to every single one. Um, and most of them ignored me. Um, others rejected me. And um, I had an audition at a station called Metro Radio in Newcastle to do uh, a rock show. And um, I did several auditions at Metro. In the end, they rejected me. I remember the program controller, a guy called Mick Johnson, who was, I'm sure, a lovely guy, but he never gave you any eye contact when you met him. And he had a haircut that looked like a pudding basin. I'm sure his mum put a pudding basin around his head and cut his hair like that. He looked like that. But um, he, he said, my presentation was too glossy and turned me down for being too glossy. I went down the road to Radio Tees, which was the commercial station for North Yorkshire, South Durham, and Cleveland. You see, I remember 95.0 VHF, 257 meters medium wave. And the program controller was a guy called Dave Cousins, who is the leader of the Straubs. And he took me on, and I was doing overnights. And, and very quickly, I got depths on daytime, and then I got drive time, and then did mornings there for three years, very happily indeed. Well, you have to let me jump in here because you've covered a lot of ground, Paul. Uh, first of all, didn't you just have a very exciting Straub's reunion recently on your podcast? We did. I mean, yeah, Dave just been on. And in fact, um, uh, Dave was um, such a fantastic guest. I mean, he was a great guy to work for because what I loved about Dave was, you know, he was managing the radio station and we were a very successful radio station. We had 50% weekly reach, I mean, which meant every other person in the region listened. And uh, we were massive. I mean, That's unheard of. That just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen now. I mean, it was a less competitive market then, I have to admit. But, you know, I'd go into pubs and people would say, oh, I know who you are from your voice. Because literally everybody listened. I, I, was, I was unknown in the UK, but I was legendary on Teesside. <laughs> what, what I was going to say about Dave was, what I loved about Dave was he let you choose the records you played. And he trusted you to do that. And Dave knew his music. Dave really knows his music, but he trusted me to do that. And I, I really appreciated that. And, and Dave gave me my break. So having a little reunion with him was great. And he's now making new records and he's back uh, touring and, uh, you know, being on the road and writing songs, which he loves. So it was incredible. Though we didn't meet face to face and we haven't spoken for years. It was um, a wonderful, wonderful reunion on uh, podcast radio. Oh, it was wonderful for us as a listener to, and obviously we'll get into talking about the private live show, which is the reason we're here with Paul Robinson here on podcast radio. Yes, you've had so many tremendous guests. I've enjoyed your show so much, Paul. I want to go back to hospital radio for a moment. Is this a, and you're a man of uh, the world, you've traveled, you know, is this a uniquely UK phenomenon? the hospital radio, or is this something, because I'd never heard of it in America. Is this something that exists in other countries as well? Across Europe, it does, yes. In, in, in America, no, because you've got college radio. Um, and traditionally, hospital radio stations haven't had transmitters, AM or FM transmitters, until relatively recently. They're always closed loop um, services um, in hospitals. But hospital radio um, is, is big, and it's been a very important training ground for lots and lots of people. There was a network called um, UBN, United Biscuits Network, that was also a very, very important training ground, which was a biscuit factory um, in Osterley, uh, just outside London. And um, many of the DJs that staffed up commercial radio in the early days at uh, Piccadilly in Manchester and BRMB and Radio Clyde and Capital Radio came from United Biscuits Network. 
Um, so it was that was really the, the training ground for the UK. In the US, you've got those fantastic college stations. I listen to a lot of David Lloyd's conversations because I love learning what I don't know about the British radio industry. And I bet nine out of 10 people that have been on his show, accomplished broadcasters that have been on with David, either started with the biscuits or with the hospital. I mean, that just does seem to be the entry point for British radio talent. I, I think so. I mean, you've got to learn somewhere. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I believe, and, and I'm sure you do too, that the ability to do the job well um, is something that you have to work at. So you've got to practice. You've got to think about the listeners. It's, you can't just walk in and be brilliant. I mean, even, even great talent in this country like Kenny Everett, Alan Freeman, Roger Scott, you know, Tony Blackburn, these people work at it. You know, they do their prep. They think about how to improve. They listen back to themselves. You've got to do that. And I think that's absolutely critical. And I, I don't agree with this idea that someone who works on television can just be put behind a microphone and be a great radio presenter because it's a different skill. You know, whether you're podcasting or you're broadcasting, you've got to somehow engage with that person who's listening and create a relationship with that person. And I think authenticity and honesty is, is important. And you have to learn that. So hospital radio, um, community radio, which is, of course, growing now in the UK, college radio, is a place to, you know, get it wrong. I was really grateful for hospital radio because I could make all my mistakes in private. You know, if you're on a big radio station serving, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, if you make a mistake, it's a big mistake. You know, I mean, lots of people hear it. On a hospital station, it's a smaller community. And so, you know, I think there's more opportunity. I mean, I would also say overnights is like that. When I started at Radio Tees, I was doing 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning. And I'm so glad I started there because you've got to learn the desk. You've got to learn all the IDs. You've got to learn how the station sure, runs. Sure. You've got to build up your confidence behind the microphone. I was really glad to be doing overnights before I got exposed to, you know, daytime because you um, need to be ready. You know, you need to be comfortable and, and confident. Uh, and so, you know, you, you need to learn. And I think it's um, uh, important that anyone who wants to be in radio realizes you can, don't just walk into the big time like any craft, whether you're a, a stand up comic, you know, or a singer or whatever it is, you have to learn the business. I do see because I pay very close attention to who gets hired these days. I'm a little bit underemployed myself, Paul, but I'm sure you're available to the right person. I'm sure Gene. I'm available to anybody. Okay. I, <laughs> but okay. give me your phone number. I keep seeing that reality television stars. It seemed to get all the new jobs. And I wonder exactly what you're saying about those skills aren't automatically transferable just because you've been popular living in a house with a camera for a year doesn't mean you know how to be a radio presenter. I feel like they're going to have a, a lot of those people are going to have a pretty steep learning curve to get to speed. Well, yeah, I, w I don't want to mention any names, but there are some people who I listen to on the air, and I think they are truly diabolical and unlistenable and on national networks too. But they're chosen because people are obsessed with celebrity. These people have got some sort of connection. They have got some sort of ability to communicate. And the radio programmers think they can put them onto the radio station and they can leverage that relationship they have. But there's two problems with that. One, radio is a different medium and the way in which you communicate is different to television. Um, and if you're a good looking person, you know, on TV and you smile a lot, you might get away with it. But if you, you can't always do that on the radio, you've got to have an authenticity in your voice and you've got to have things to say and you've got to be interesting. Um, you've got to engage with the content around you. And if you can't do that, I think it's a problem. But also, of course, it's about social media networks. And many of these people have got massive, massive uh, Instagram or Twitter or Facebook accounts. 
And when people are hired, you know, oh, how many followers have you got? Oh, a couple of million. Yes, I'll hire you. You've got 2,000. Oh, no, won't, won't hire you. And unfortunately, that's where we are at the moment. I have to say that there are very few examples, in my opinion, of people who've come from that world who are absolutely at the top of their game and doing amazing work. It doesn't mean they can't be. But like, like me, they're learning on the air. And I don't think they should be learning on the air on a peak national network. They should be learning somewhere else. Now, I don't want to sound like the old man yelling at the clouds here, because that's not to say we don't have some excellent things going on in the audio medium right now. I mean, I think podcasting is wonderful. Obviously, you and I have both embraced podcasting. And there's also, I think, nothing wrong with a young person out there who has something to say, just starting up his own show and running with it. He doesn't need a gatekeeper to tell him it's okay to get, quote unquote, on the air anymore. Well, exactly. Look, I think that's the fantastic thing about podcasting, that the fact the barriers to entry are really low. Anyone can do it. And of course, there are lots of amazing people who've got really interesting things to say, who've done that via podcast. And of course, the thing about this too is, if no one's interested, no one will listen. If you've got something interesting to say, they'll come. So it's a sort of natural um, failure mechanism, if you like. If you're not very good, well, sorry, but no one's going to come. You haven't got this big transmitter that automatically sprays you out to loads of people. You've got to attract people to come to you. So I think that's very healthy. The other thing about podcasting, I think, is that um, as well as bringing in new talent to the industry and people who might otherwise not have come in, is its ability to be very niche and very sort of specific. You know, it's a bit like in the old days in the, ma in the, in the newsagent shop, you know, your local store, you'd see rows and rows of magazines. I'm not talking about the top shelf, Gene. I'm talking about, you know, the rows and rows of magazines, which are all specialist titles, um, you know, really going in detail, in depth into a particular subject. And podcasting is brilliant at doing that as well. And then podcast radio is brilliant because what you do is you put things on the air that you didn't expect to listen to and you discover things which are maybe things you wouldn't choose to listen to because oh, that's quite interesting. And I think that's another thing. That's absolutely the goal is to try to help with the discovery that I think is a barrier for many people trying to dip their toe for the first time into podcast and don't even know where to begin. At least we show you the range of the types of shows. Over here, you have a gaming show. Over here, you have a, a, a movie show. Over here, you have a politics show, a comedy show. At least we're trying to give you some examples of, of where you can go with your podcasts. Exactly. No, and I think that's a wonderful thing about what podcast radio does. And I, I often turn on and think, well, I don't know what that is. And I, I stay listening because there's an element of surprise. I I've always believed, you know, when you when you hear DJs on the radio, you know, naming the next four records they're going to play after the break, I think that is boring and hopeless because where's the surprise? You know, the thing about podcast radio, the thing about any sort of radio is what's going to happen next. And you want to stay listening in case the next bit is amazing or the next song is amazing. Don't be told it's going to be all this stuff coming up because there's no element of surprise there. You know, the surprise of discovery, I think, is a critical part of making audio listening exciting. Absolutely, and that's what makes the best personalities so successful as well. I mean, I'm a big fan of Chris Moyles, for instance, on Radio X, and he does such a wonderful job of promoting just enough what he has in mind to come, and you don't want to miss it because it just sounds fun. Exactly, and he, he's got so much in his head. You know, I think Chris Moyles, Chris Evans, two uh, presenters who both got so many ideas and, and you know, they, they polarize audiences, of course, but then, you know, you want to stand for something. I think what I really don't like is people who've got no personality and nothing to say. And all they'll do is back announce the records, give a time check, give a station ID and go into the break. And I mean, to me, that's not radio. Frankly, you know, I've got a Spotify account and I can choose my perfect songs much better than the radio station that does that. <laughs> well, you know best what you like, Paul. <laughs> well, I do. I mean, I like some strange things. We're talking to Paul Robinson here on podcast radio. He is the host, as you know, of 
East London Radio's Private Lives, which is heard uh, about a million times a week on your own station. Do I have it right? It's, it's Sunday to Friday, 9 a.m., and then Monday to Friday, 2 p.m., right? That's correct. And we, we also uh, syndicate to a station in uh, the north of England called Radio Tyneside, um, and they run it at 4 p.m. on Sunday afternoons and 8 p.m. on Wednesday afternoons. And also it goes out on the Bart's Hospital Radio Network. Uh, and we're about to announce a new station about to take it too. So our little network is growing. Well, congratulations on that. And before we get into private lives, I want to just backtrack a little bit to your on-air radio career because you're clearly so passionate still about it after all these years. But at some point you did ease out of being in the booth and get behind a desk. You became more management than talent. Tell me about that transition. Well, I was at Radio 1 and I was running daytime programming and then I became head of uh, all the programming on Radio 1 as managing editors. So I was managing all the DJs, all the music on Radio 1, which was an amazing gig. And, and that radio station had 19 million weekly listeners at that point. Uh, it was a, a stunning, stunning uh, job. And, and we should talk more about that over a beer at some point because uh, there are lots of, lots of stories, many of which I can't actually say on the radio. <laughs> but then I became head of strategy at the BBC for um, the, all the networks, Radius 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 Live and the emerging digital networks. Um, and then did a turnaround with um, Talk Radio, which had a horribly complicated shareholder and management structure and, and put shock jocks on the air and there was no advertising and had no listeners. So we, we turned that round and, 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 and sold that for a, a good price. And then the Walt Disney Company came calling and I had no intentions of going to television. I had no intentions of going to work for the Walt Disney Company. But a headhunter called and they said, would you like to go for the interview? And I thought, well, why not? I'm happily uh, go. You know, my, my, my family uh, love the Walt Disney Company and love the parks. And we spent lots of time in Florida uh, and in Anaheim and um, ended up running uh, Disney UK and then Disney Europe and then ended up in Los Angeles for uh, three years um, as, as head of kids content for Disney TV globally and then went to NBC Universal. So I did, you know, 16 years uh, with Hollywood Studios, which was never planned. Um, for this hospital radio DJ that, um, you know, was uh, really a lover of music. So during all that time, did you miss being behind a microphone as well, Paul? I did. I did. And I, I didn't do anything really at all for all those years. I mean, I'm still listening to music, but I wasn't doing anything behind the microphone. I mean, I think I'm sure you're the same, Gene. You've, you've, you're a professional presenter and you've done this for so many years and you, you know, you're doing this all the time. I'm just a sort of part-timer. But I can't not get behind a microphone and, and, and do radio. There's something about it which I... Uh, adore and love and it's still to me the most intimate and the most fun medium so yeah i'm delighted you know to be to be back doing it with, with elr you know um when i met ian chambers about six years ago now and, and he said he was setting up this radio station and would i like to get involved i, I jumped at the chance and so ian as you know is the managing director and i'm i'm the chairman now and uh, we have uh, great times, and, and you kind of a better colleague than Ian Chambers. Well, yeah, I've heard the, the same as well. And let me also co-sign your remarks about, I can't explain it either, but it gets in your blood being on the radio, and it is something that is, you're right, it's an essence. It's, uh, it's absolutely part of who we are. So I totally understand where you're coming from there, Paul. Let's talk about ELR for a minute. A very good radio station, and it seems like here in the UK there are a lot of those localized stations like Soho Radio, like your station, although they're on the internet, they stream to the whole world. Why is the decision made to present them as a local neighborhood radio station when they really are as accessible to somebody in Zimbabwe as they are to somebody in East London? Well, the origins of East London radio are the Olympics here in Stratford in 2012. 
you know, when the whole world was looking at uh, this region. Um, and we cover the seven boroughs north of the Thames. It's, it's weird. If you're in East London, south of the Thames, you think of yourself as a South Londoner. But if you're in the boroughs north of the Thames, you're an East Londoner. So those seven boroughs um, are the area we cover, which is about two and a half, three million uh, people coverage. If you look at the map, it's, it's the big splodge, um, which is from the Thames north uh, and going into going in right over to Essex. The idea really was um, once the media left uh, after the Olympics, there was this void. Um, and Ian had the idea, why don't we have a radio station? No one is covering East London. East London was a little bit forgotten. Um, and London's a huge city. And of course, you know, East London itself is still a large patch. But we can talk about East London. And our thinking was not just to play music. There's no point, you know, playing, you know, the music that's played on commercial radio, or the BBC. You know, our strap line is gets East London talking. We're about the speech. We're trying to bring the East London community together and talk about the issues that happen and also talk about all the positivity, all the fantastic growth, all the new infrastructure, all the new industry coming here. You know, the East End was always thought of as being, you know, the home of gangsters and being a bit dodgy and, you know, there was lots of crime. Not at all. I live in East London. I live in E14. I love East London. Um, and we, who all of us who work on East London Radio, love this region. And it's about talking about this region and the things about this region that bring the hold, hold true across the region. So most of our programs are speech. We also do, um, you know, so we do things like, a, you know, um, a grassroots football show um, and we do a business show and we do a show called Age Speaks about older people. But we also do some specialist shows. We've got a really good rock show, for example, heavy rock show. We've got we've got the reggae show, which is also great. You know, so um, but we're principally we are trying to do the things that otherwise people wouldn't do and to unite the East London region. Curiously, it's all volunteer. Is that right? Um, yeah, no, it's, it's volunteer. I mean, to answer your question about why we're, we're streamed, well, the thing is that we have not chosen to have a DAB license or an FM license for all sorts of reasons. But by streaming it, we get the benefit of getting good coverage across our region, but also people who actually maybe come from East London, um, who are, you know, living elsewhere, um, and, and also the chance to reflect East London to the rest of the world. That's why we do it. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned the volunteerism. I do see that you actually put out the word for people. I mean, you, your doors are open for people who would like to be on the station, right? We do. And we've got um, volunteers from, you know, kids at school through to pensioners and retired people, a whole range. And, you know, access is important for us. I mean, we think it's not just about what comes out of the speakers. It's also about giving access. And we do a lot of training for people. We can help people build up their confidence. We've got people who've come here who have got, you know, maybe problems in their lives. And somehow the chance to learn how to do radio has helped them in their lives, you know, to, to gain, gain confidence, to gain experience, to feel better about what else they do. So it is a about access um, as well as reflecting East London back to itself. That's wonderful. In our remaining moments with our guest, Paul Robinson, here on Podcast Radio, East London Radio's Private Lives, let's talk about this show. How long ago did you start Private Lives, Paul? Do you know, it's a really good question. It was about a year and a half ago, I think, maybe two years ago. And it started as uh, a show with local guests from the local East London region, you know, talking about what's happening in East London. So it could be a local business person or a local newspaper editor. And we soon realized that there was a lot more we could do with the show. And the, the basic philosophy is it's someone who's got a story to tell um, and six or seven records that matter to them. And what started happening was record companies and PR companies started approaching us. Um, and then, you know, I thought, well, I know lots of people. Maybe they'd like to come on the show. And Ian knows lots of people. Maybe they'd like to come on the show. And the result of that is that it's developed into now a show where we get a lot of very interesting and and quite big names on there 
talking about their lives. You know, we've just recorded, um, you know, Alexandra O'Neill and Nils Lofgren and Marty Wilde and Status Quo and, and, and Shack Attack. Um, and um, they all have a good time because what we do is we only focus really on music, you know, what, what turned them on to music, how they got their first guitar, how they got their first gig, you know, the songs that have mattered in their lives. Um, and it's really interesting talking to Alexandra O'Neill, for example, as, as I was last week, and you'll get this on podcast radio in a few weeks' time. Um, he was talking about the first record he ever bought. Um, and the first record he ever bought was James Brown, I Feel Good. And that made him think, I could be a singer. It gave him the confidence to be a singer. And those stories, I think, people don't really tell otherwise. Um, and what we try and do is get the guests relaxed and, and chatting to them. And we're not asking difficult questions about you know problems in their lives we're just talking about their career and their music and what turns them on and and that's really been the philosophy um and uh, so you know we now find that we are um inundated with guests and are very very delighted about that well fortunately people love nothing more than to talk about themselves so that's a great opening right there you do a great a wonderful job of making them relax too and i and i will tell you that i am surprised every week by the guests that you get no one could ever predict who Paul Robinson is talking to next because out of the blue, there'll be a Brian Prothro or there'll be a Dean Friedman or somebody in, in some cases that I've never heard interviewed. And that's what makes it really exciting for me. I feel like you're, whoever's setting you up has got a very deep Rolodex, to use a term from the 20th century, Paul. Well, no, Rolodex is a good word. And, and I've got my Rolodex. I, I love my Rolodex. It's very, very valuable. Dean Friedman is interesting. I mean, Ian and I have both known Dean Friedman for a long, long time. And in fact, I was um, in the US on business. I'd been to Miami. I was going back home by New York. I was doing some business in New York. And so I met um, Dean Friedman just near Grand Central Station in New York to do that particular show. And uh, that's where we did it, sitting in the hotel lobby there at uh, a Grand Central Station. Um, Henry Gross is another one who I think is very interesting from Shana Na. Mm -hmm. I, I love the song Shannon. And, and again, Shannon was a song that was played by Kenny Everett on Capital Radio. And he really made that song successful and i've loved that song and and so the chance to talk to henry was fascinating because he then had stories about Jimi hendrix and about woodstock and you know the beach boys um and uh you know a lot of singer songwriters actually uh, al stewart's another one um the al stewart interview is interesting actually because we did that at bbc radio 2. Um, he was in being interviewed by steve wright and so i rang up radio 2 and said can i do the interview and they gave me a studio next door and we did the al stewart interview at radio too so it's all about um it's all about connections it's funny how people like jimmy hendrix keep coming up in the interviews lonnie donegan's another one um uh, mm -hmm. lonnie donegan is king of the skiffle king of the skiffle i mean if you know the number of people who said i was influenced by skiffle i mean i wasn't surprised when mike berry said he was influenced by lonnie donegan i was very surprised when dave brock from hawkwind said he was now you think about silver machine and you know what the Hawkwind music is like. I mean, I love Hawkwind, but Dave Brock, who was there from the beginning, he started busking. You know, he was he was busking on the streets, often moved on around London. And he was a fan of Don Partridge, who had the hit with Rosie and Lonnie Donegan. And that's how he started. And then, of course, Hawkwind eventually evolved from that. Um, I mean, Michael Jackson's another one who keeps coming up. Now, you might think yeah, there's all sorts of places where Michael Jackson might come up. Kim Mazel mentioned Mike to Michael Jackson because she lived three doors down from the Jacksons in Gary, Indiana. Well, you can certainly hear from the last couple of minutes the passion that Paul Robinson brings to his interviews on Private Lives. I think they're all available. They're all archived on your Mixcloud page. Is that accurate, Paul? 
Yeah, so they'll, they'll appear first on um, the radio stations or on PCR, and then they go on to Mixcloud. So if you go on to Mixcloud, you can see the whole lot. It's the East London Radio version, because we do create different versions. Obviously, the podcast radio uh, podcasts have two artists every week, because obviously we take the records out and we make an hour. Um, but they're all up there on Mixcloud to uh, have a look at. And please do uh, go and listen to Mixcloud if you'd like to and, and relive the pleasure you've had from listening to them on podcast radio. We are so grateful to have you on the lineup. You really are a bright spot every week on podcast radio. And I'm so glad we got a chance to meet, albeit virtually. And uh, as we said at the top, I hope when this is over, when our world returns to some sort of normalcy, or as you say here in England, normality, let's get together and have that beer, Paul. We definitely will. My wallet will come out at least for one. <laughs> Hey nerds, I'm Sarah, the Paper Nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, The Paper Fold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network.